0: Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm glad that you could be back with us this week. This is a very special episode with guest Shane Claiborne, and it's a great conversation, and I'm excited to bring it to you. Uh, before we do that, though, I have a couple of quick words from these sponsors.
1: And now a word from our sponsors.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at Audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. That's audibletrial.com slash in my head. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Give it a try today. This is Rick Lee James, and the music you are hearing is from my new album, Thunder. The title track, Thunder, is a never-before-released song by the late Rich Mullins. There are also 12 other tracks made up of original music, hymns, and readings to guide the listener on a journey. You can buy Thunder today on clear vinyl and CD, or stream it on Spotify, Apple Music, and almost every other music streaming service. Thunder. Hear it today at rickleyjames.com. This episode of Voices in My Head is brought to you by Podbean. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. Visit podbean.com voices to find out more. That's podbean.com voices. And we're back, and this is a very special episode of Voices in My Head that's coming to you actually from back in 2017. I wanted to bring a brand new episode to you this week, but it's been a very busy time here in our life. Uh, Summer has begun. My son has been getting over pneumonia. Uh, My parents are getting ready to move here from West Virginia, so we are heading to West Virginia very soon. Uh, Last night, literally, there was tornadoes hitting and destroyed just uh, Dayton. Around us, a lot of places in Dayton, a lot of places in Salina, and so we know there's going to be a lot of relief work and and help. So we're going to try to be a part of that in whatever way we can. And it just so happens that even though I have several guests planned on future shows, it was just going to be an easier thing this week to let you hear a flashback episode. And the reason I wanted to share this flashback episode specifically. Uh, there's a couple of different reasons. One being this is the most listened to episode of our podcast that we've had, and we've had a lot of listens over the years. But Shane Claiborne uh, is a wonderful guest, really great guy, and I enjoyed hanging out with him. And I think this conversation is worth listening to again. We talked a lot about Rich Mullins because Shane knew Rich, and uh, I was getting ready to. Uh, record Rich Mullins song for my new album Thunder which is now released at the time it wasn't um, and at the time we had recorded it was also Uh, the year of the anniversary of Rich Mullins, the 20th anniversary of Rich Mullins' death. So it was really great to get to hear some firsthand stories about Rich Mullins from somebody who knew him well and then to have some other conversations about very important things that have to do with the gospel and the way we live and things like turning guns into plowshares and uh, some of the great work that Shane is doing. So I felt like this was an episode that was worth revisiting and I hope that you'll take time to listen to it. Maybe if you even heard it the first time, a couple of years ago when we broadcast it. I really think it's something that would do us a lot of good to, to listen to again today. So uh, you don't need to hear me talk as much as you probably need to hear Shane today, so I'm going to turn it over and uh, let you hear the conversation that I had with Shane Claiborne back in two, seven, <clears throat> 2017 here on the Voices in My Head podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back with you again next week. God bless. Shane Claiborne is a follower of Jesus and follower. Following Jesus has led him on many adventures. Following Jesus has taken him from the streets of Calcutta, where he worked with Mother Teresa, to the wealthy suburbs of Chicago, where he served at the influential megachurch, Willow Creek. As a peacemaker, his journeys with Jesus have taken him to some of the world's most troubled regions, from Rwanda to the West Bank, and he's been on peace delegations in Afghanistan and Iraq shane is the leader of the simple way a faith community in inner city philadelphia that has helped birth and connect radical faith communities around the world following jesus has also led shane to write and travel extensively speaking about peacemaking social justice and of course jesus his books include jesus for president red letter revolution common prayer Follow Me to Freedom, and his classic, The Irresistible Revolution. All of this barely even scratches the surface of things that Following Jesus has led Shane Claiborne to. He's been featured in movies, has appeared in numerous publications and TV shows, and on top of all that, he's a really nice guy. I'm so glad that Following Jesus has led him to Voices in My Head podcast, where we can have a conversation today. Shane Claiborne, welcome to the Voices in My Head podcast.
1: Yeah, man, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I am just thrilled. I've I've been a, a, a watcher from afar for a long time, and and a reader of yours, and trying to follow some of the example that you have uh, have set before us as you have been doing your best to follow the example of Jesus in the world. So, I want to thank you for that commitment. And uh, and just being a light, uh, I think uh, for my money, there's few people that I can think of that are doing what you're doing and exactly the way you're doing it, at least in North America in this way. And so it's going to be fun to have a conversation today. As we begin, I wonder if you could just quickly define for us in your words, because I'm I'm not sure if this is a phrase that you actually came up with or if it's just one that's associated with you because of your writings. But define for us, what is an ordinary radical?
1: Well, yeah, I, I don't know if I came up with that or not either. But I have I like the word radical uh, because um, in its truest sense, it means root. You know, like a radish is a root. And it, it has to do with um, getting at the very root of something. And so to me, radical is, is about... Um, getting at the heart of what it means to love our neighbor as ourself and to love, you know, Jesus with all of our heart and mind and strength. And, um, and, uh, so I, I like the earthiness of it and the, the, the simplicity of it. Um, but I, I think sometimes we think of radical as extreme, you know, or like over the top. And, uh, that's why I think it's important that it be coupled with, uh, ordinary because there's, there's so many people out there that are doing beautiful things with their lives. And, uh, uh, so, i i i tend to use those those words together and uh yeah you know uh I think we're going to get to talk about Rich Mullins a little bit, but he talked about ragamuffins, and I, I think that's probably my, my, my version of ragamuffin.
0: <laughs> Very cool. man! I couldn't have asked for a better segue, actually, than that <laughs> as we go into our discussion. Uh, listeners will know if they've been listening to the last few episodes that a couple of weeks ago I was in Nashville for a book release called Winds of Heaven, Stuff of Earth, and on that show I had a couple of the authors, and I had David Mullins, Rich's brother, together on the podcast, and we were sharing some stories of Rich Mullins because it is the 20th anniversary of when he left our world to go be with the Lord. And um, and I really enjoyed your section in the book where you got to talk a little bit about Rich. And I don't think maybe a lot of people realize that you two had crossed paths. It's not necessarily um, somebody that you would think of automatically because you're not really known for being a musician or anything like that. Um, But you did have some time with Rich Mullins. Tell us how you first came in contact with him.
1: Well, I had, I had appreciated Rich's music, although I, I'll have to confess, I, I was a little bit of a punk rocker. And so I, <laughs> uh, I, I liked it a little heavier most of the time. But when I went to, uh, to Wheaton, I went to Wheaton College my senior year and, uh, I, I was really there primarily to, to, uh, for an internship that I was doing, uh, working at Willow Creek. But then I got there and I found out, wow, Rich had decided to take a sabbatical, um, and be at Wheaton for, Uh, that year Um, and uh, he had written a play about St. Francis of Assisi who I loved and uh, was also going to live I think he lived on campus and everything so um, I'll tell you the funny the funny first encounter that we had was it was actually my I I don't sing at all and so you know the word was that he had written this musical about St. Francis so they were looking for um, people to try out for it. And, um, so, you know, Wheaton had all these wonderful musicians and stuff. And my, um, uh, hall director in my dorm was going to try out and he said, You want to come? And I was like, Yeah, I'll just come and listen. You know, it'd be cool to, I, I appreciate, I, I'd love to see Rich in the band and, you know, see people try out. So I went along with him too. I think I took some like homework with me or whatever. You know, I was just going to kind of check it out. And then I got there and, uh, uh, so first of all, I had a Rage Against the Machine T shirt on with a <laughs> you know, black American flag. It said evil empire, you know, I had like multicolored hair and I show up and so then Rich just kinda like looks over and there weren't as many people there as I thought and so he said, I need somebody else to help read and he picked me and he said, Come up here and help read just as like a filler, you know, so everybody else could try out. I was just kinda running lines and um <laughs> he goes, You can you can lose the southern accent and I was like, No, I can't lose the southern accent I, I this is for real, you know? And um so anyway we hit it off through all that and uh, uh so uh I ended up being in the, the I had the only non musical part in the play. <laughs> this one armed country like uh mountain man. Uh that was that that's the role I played in um, <laughs> sadly my hall director I don't think got a part so I, I couldn't like you know I did kind of leave that on the down low but uh <laughs> through, through all of that i I just spent as much time with him as I could and um I uh, just came to really love uh, my brother yeah what, what a great light in the world oh that's awesome
0: well you know I would consider rich to be one of those ordinary radicals that you were just talking about a few minutes ago, which is why I asked that question first. And um, I think he, through his music, has affected uh, many people's lives, of course, unless, you know, they were punk rockers or something like you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But when I think about the effect that uh, Rich Mullen has had on many people's ministry, I wonder what effect he had upon you and the ministry that you would be carrying out in the coming days after college because most of us didn't have that opportunity to actually get to spend time with him and i wonder if you can pinpoint maybe anything that that just sort of being around him and and learning from him had taught you about living out this ordinary radical life
1: well rich was enamored with jesus and that that um like just was was it emanated from him you know like uh i mean he as you probably know he wrote a uh, a a whole um album just on jesus you know mm-hmm. and on the wor- wor- words of jesus and um part of i think why he loved saint francis so much was that francis just read the sermon on the mount and sold everything he had and gave it to the poor and lived this really radical life. And it, but it was a very simple life of just loving Jesus and loving the poor. And a lot of, of Rich Mullen's message was, was simple. You know, it it was this, this idea that we, we kind of overcomplicate things. And, um, and in the end, it's it's about how we love and especially how we love the most marginalized, the most vulnerable people in our world. Um, so, uh, yeah that that's that's what I remember most about um Rich and I I think what what's amazing too is what a corrective that is to so much of our Christianity I mean even when he was still alive a lot of Christianity had gotten so distracted from Jesus mm-hmm. and, and when we when we get distracted from Jesus we end up talking a lot about things Jesus didn't talk about and we don't talk about the things Jesus talked a lot about you mm-hmm. know and, and, and i think it's that kind of invitation to say um what would it look like if if we fell in love with Jesus again and 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 uh allowed Christ to really be the center of our christianity uh, because for you know a, a lot of people christians have looked very unlike Christ hmm. and we we've become known for uh the things that Jesus spoke out against like self righteousness um and 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 we've often become known more for who we've excluded than who we've embraced, and and sometimes more for what we're against than what we're for. And I, I think Rich was a was a beautiful example of uh, what what real Christianity can look like.
0: Well, that's awesome to hear that. Uh, well, I'm I'm a big fan of of Rich's music, and and the more I hear about his life, I I do think that. That probably is a pretty good description for him. Maybe we could say he just never got over getting saved (laughs) to some extent, like some of us do. Um, And I I think that's a beautiful thing. And I, I think of the different things in his life that he did do, whether it be, you know, taking a vow to live only at the level of what the average American was living at and, and the money that he was making was going to his church for them to decide where it went to or uh, spending a lot of his time on Indian reservations and, and things that, that many of us would you know would think like, wow, that's a really radical thing to do. But it just sounds like Rich kind of lived his life there in that place. And, and I'm sure you can relate with, with all the places that you've been to. I can't think of any other thing except... Jesus calling people to do things like this, you know, to yeah. uh, to call us to get up and go, and it just seems like he's he's always calling the least likely people. You know, I I love how uh, Doctor William Willimon says, you know, it's a good thing I'm not the one calling people, and Jesus is because I really question Jesus' judgment sometimes.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah, he yeah.
0: says <laughs> he just doesn't seem to call the people that I would. Um, and there's there's a lot of places that that we could go, but uh, I, I think that I've I've heard you say before that stories seem to be a lot more effective when talking to people than statistics are. And Rich was certainly a a great storyteller, not only with his music, but uh, seeing some of the recordings of him telling stories live. I feel like his life was a story in many ways. Is is there any story about Rich that that comes to mind with you other than you first meeting him that just kind of sticks out in your mind is like, yeah, that's a Rich story
1: oh wow gosh there's there's so many that that come to mind um I mean one of them that I heard about secondhand um was that that he and one of his buddies was were on a train you know and they were really kind of on there for a while and so he started sort of having one of those bro downs you know c- confessing some of the the things on our heart and some of our struggles and different things. And, um, you know, the, the train kind of comes to the station and, um, they, they've really had this pretty powerful heart to heart. And, uh, this woman stands up and recognizes rich and she says, sorry to interrupt, but I, I can't help but ask, are you rich Mullins? And, um, rich used to say, at that point, I began to think of all the things that she could have heard me say about mm. myself, and I had to decide whether or not I was Rich Mullins. <laughs> wow. But the, the thing I love about that, and he ends by saying, I looked her in the eyes and I smiled and said, yes, I am. I'm mm. Rich you know. And, and I think, like, this decision to own his own darkness and his own struggles uh is is very much a part of who he was and just as he modeled with integrity so many beautiful jesus-like principles and things he he also i think um people love rich because of of his transparency and his honesty and his his openness about his own struggles um you know uh um and um one one of the things I say about Rich a lot is is that, is that folks love him because they're they're looking for Christians that are honest, not for Christians that are perfect. Mm. And and too too often we've acted like we're perfect and we haven't really been honest. And and so I, I don't think that the world you know is kind of looking for Christians that have everything together. They're actually looking for Christians that are willing to admit that we don't. You know. Um, so sometimes people say to me. Uh, the church is full of hypocrites, and, and nowadays I say, no, it's not. We've always got room for more. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. There's always room for more, that's for sure. Well, while while we're on that subject, I'm going to transition a bit out of our talk about Rich Mullins, but I, I really appreciate you just taking time uh, to talk about him a little bit today. It's a rare opportunity that I get to sit and talk with people who knew Rich, and uh, and so that's that's just a, a wonderful uh just thank you on a personal level. I love hearing stories about him. But but talking about, you know, the church being full of hypocrites, and and, and you're right, all of us are from time to time, and maybe daily, uh, maybe more than I want to admit. But we're in turbulent times, and I know you know this, and maybe we're always in turbulent times as, as long as the Lord tarries. But I think about lately, and, and we're thinking about Uh, very recently now uh, this shooting in Las Vegas and there have been multiple shootings since that one but that's the one that's sort of been on our mind and in the news because it's it was so big and so tragic and so horrific and um, and and I want to present a scenario to you because I know your heart on this matter of guns and violence and um, this scenario happened to me just maybe two months ago. And so I'm going to I'm gonna have this scenario given to you and see how maybe you would have thought through or, or responded just to help me because honestly, when this happened, I was struck dumb and I didn't know what to say. Um, I was in a, a church where I was playing a concert and a man came up to me and I, I had finished the part of the service I was playing in and I kind of made my way out to the foyer just to kind of sit where my table was, and I was just trying to listen to the sermon. And a man came up to me, and I i, I guess he was the head usher or someone like that, and, and he just started talking to me about his guns and how he was holding the gun right now you know it was he he was packing at church and he started telling me about all the people in his church that were packing guns and there's probably 50 people in that sanctuary today who have their guns with them and um, and I thought why is he telling me all this and then he said (laughs) he said these words to me and and I really like I I hadn't struck up this conversation or anything I was just sitting there trying to listen but he was passionate about it and he said these words and I thought this is where I'd love to have your input he said he said basically how much he hated democrats and then he said they want to kill babies that's one thing but if they come after my guns they won't take them without a fight mm. and this was a head usher in a church <laughs> that's and that it threw me off I was speechless and I thought how far away have we gotten from the gospel here yeah uh, to make a statement like that um, in, in, a, in a church foyer. But I wonder if that was you. And, and I'm, you've had m- way more, I'm sure, scenarios similar to that where someone comes up and talks to you. W- would you have a response at that moment to someone? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was just kind of struck because I wasn't expecting. I didn't know what to say. I, I wonder how you would respond in a situation <laughs> like that
1: oh gosh uh, well bless your heart man i i i, I guess i'd probably just say uh, man i got the best bodyguard in the world <laughs> sweet lord jesus you know he's got right. he's he's got my back man um <laughs> you no know, i i think you know well first of all i i you know grew up in tennessee um with guns everywhere you know we, we've got a country music song that says this house is protected by the good lord and a gun right and if you if you come unwanted, you'll meet them both, son, you know? Uh, so that, that, that's my, my people, my world that I grew up in. Um, but I think that the more I leaned into Jesus, the more I saw those deep contradictions. Um, and, and I think it's why many people are, are, um, have a distaste for Christianity as they see these inherent differences, you know, uh, um, whether it's guns or slavery, you know, I mean, we, yeah. Like Frederick Douglass said, I, I love the pure, peaceable Christianity of Christ, and, and but I see no reason to call the Christianity of this land Christian. It looks so unlike it's Christ, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that um, as we were justifying slavery in one hand and, you know, folks that were lynching black folks that then went to church on Sunday morning. You know, I, I think we've had this fusion. You even go to the KKK's website and it has an entire section on the theology of the cross and why they light the cross to burn up the darkness it's really distorted sick theology um so i I mean part of what why i keep coming back to jesus is that um jesus didn't carry a gun he carried a cross you know and he's, he's known as the lamb of god and the one thing that lambs don't do is they don't hurt anybody you know um that that as i look at jesus who um from the moment he's born comes vulnerable as a refugee, you know, as a baby born in a manger because there was no room in the end, he's executed on the cross, and as he dies, he, you know, forgives the people that are killing him. I mean, he, he absolutely, uh, I, when I look at the Sermon on the Mount, I, I think these ideas that we have of, like, stand your ground, um, they are a direct affront to um, turn the other cheek and towards the nonviolence of Jesus, hmm. Um and, and I, I don't think that that means we don't react to evil. I think what Jesus is showing us is that we can, we can interact with evil without becoming it. Um, and, and that we, we can wear evil down with love. As the early Christian said, uh, grace has the power to dull even the sharpest sword. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, I, so I, I think that we live in a, in a culture that is absolutely Held hostage to fear. It is a fear driven culture. Um, and the Bible has something to say about fear, and it says, Perfect love casteth out fear. Hmm. And, I, and I think that we also see that fear casteth out love. It doesn't make much room for love. And when fear is driving us, we become very dangerous people. Our policies become very dangerous and oppressive policies when they're driven out of fear rather than love. But, but Jesus came to free us from that. I think, I think Jesus came to, to show us how we can live fearlessly. Um, even, even in a world where, um, evil was very real. I mean, I I think when Jesus told the disciples to love their enemies, he knew they were going to be fed to beasts and quartered and hung upside down on crosses. I mean, evil was as real 2,000 years ago as it is now. and, And Jesus is showing us a way to transcend it without becoming it. So I just, I haven't figured out a way to reconcile Jesus's command to love our enemies uh, with simultaneously preparing to kill them. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So,
0: that, uh, yeah, and, it doesn't and, work. And and I just you know was part of a conversation today where you know somebody asked the question, "You you think Jesus would would buy a gun?" And somebody pretty quickly as as the conversation always goes to, well, think about this, he went to the temple with a whip in his hand, he drove everybody out and, and my response was, So what you're saying is if a gun was available, Jesus would have gone into the temple and started shooting up the place. That's what you're saying by that, you know? <laughs> and yeah. I and I always find I always find that we for some reason, um our people are so desperate to hang on to our ways of violence, even in the church, and I'm not yeah. sure why. I, I think maybe you hit the nail on the head, though, when you talked about the way that fear drives us at times. Where um, I, I know it for me, as a person who um, who is in church and is is constantly working and talking with um, people who are followers of Christ. Um, it's it's one thing that again and again it, it frustrates me, but it, it I think hurts my heart a little bit too uh, when I when I hear ways that we're always trying to wiggle out of following Jesus. Um, it must be as I even think about the context of this conversation we're having. It must be so much harder to have perfect love than it is to have fear, <laughs> you know. Um, it it must be something that you really have to work at in order to have perfect love in that way and. Um, And I I, I just wonder at times, you know, is is there any other way to convince our people of it short of the Holy Spirit doing the work but but us as as ministers just to consistently be living this out on a daily basis and just trying to show it by example and live it out because... um, you know, we, I feel like 2016 was sort of an exercise in, in following fear for our country. You know, there was, there was fear talk everywhere. And, um, you know, throughout the election, it just continued being that way. And then after the election, it became about fearing the other and fearing refugees and fearing people who are going to hurt us. And, and it's just interesting that in, you know, our nation, which is one of the most violent in the world, we're scared to death that somebody else is going to get us. I'm, I'm almost as scared as those within the nation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that I am on that level. Um, I, I wonder if you could, I, I'm, I'm going on too long, but I, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of the story, because I, I think this is a beautiful story that I've read about uh, you writing, and I've heard you tell about um, what you're doing with uh, actually being a part of taking weapons and turning them into tools, so to speak, into plowshares and weapons into plowshares. And, and I know there's some beautiful stories that have come out of that work, but I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners know about that. Would you be willing to share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so we we um, have been really inspired by the uh, – uh, vision in the in the uh, prophets both both uh, Isaiah and Micah give this vision that god's people will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks that you know and then it goes on to say nation will not rise up against nation they will study war and bi- violence no more people will live without fear it's a beautiful uh, image of where the world is headed and you kind of start to go uh, it's been said that hope changes the one who hopes you know if you believe that's what what is coming, then you start to live differently. You know, if, if we believe that people are, are going to beat their swords in the plows, it doesn't make sense to keep, um, making more swords, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so we, um, you know, in, in the United States, we found that we, we have uh, 5% of the world's population. Um, but almost half of the world's civilian owned guns wow. It's it's pretty remarkable. So, you know, um, like we have almost one gun for every person in the United States. Um, so if we, we've got hundred guns for hundred people, the next biggest country is India where they have four guns for every hundred people. So it's just un, unprecedented. And, you know, where there are more guns, there's more gun violence, there's more suicides. Um, so we have 30,000 deaths uh, a year, uh, from guns. Um, and, 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 uh, um, you know, many of them are, uh, you start to just go, this doesn't need to be normal. You know, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, and, and, and uh, uh you know some people will say well it's not a gun problem it's a heart problem and really what we've been saying is it's both mm. you know it, it's, these aren't exclusive like we need god to change hearts no no law can change someone's heart no law can change someone who's racist or hateful or whatever like god does that work but god may be looking to us to change some laws you know it, it, like we actually sometimes we just say all we can do is pray you know about something like Las Vegas and I think sometimes it's a lie. You know, yeah. we, we we should pray. But when we say all we can do is pray, uh, it's often not true. There are lots of other things we can do. And um, so we've been very active on this. And this is not just an issue. I mean, I think what happens with, for a lot of us is this becomes personal. And that happened to me when a 19-year-old kid collapsed on my front steps after being shot. Um, and he ended up dying. His name was Papito. And there there kind of comes a moment where dr martin luther king said we're we're called to be the good samaritan and lift our neighbor you know out of the ditch but after you lift so many people out of the ditch you start to say maybe we need to rethink the whole road to jericho Mm. and that's where we've really been doing a lot of work on this but we got so excited about that we started asking people you know we got 300 million guns anybody want to donate any and um uh you know transform them from from guns into plows and so uh it's amazing what you can do with face, Facebook and Twitter, you know, like people started donating guns. The first one we got was an AK-47, you know, where this guy was like, I have no idea why I have this. Like, you don't use it to hunt deer, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so he donated an AK-47. We transformed it into a shovel uh, and a rake. And then we began getting uh, all kinds of other guns. Uh, I've got one right here beside me. That was a handgun we found in an abandoned house in Philly. And the mothers and fathers that had lost their kids on the streets of Philadelphia to gun violence were the ones that transformed this one. And they they beat it. You know, we heated it up in the forge and they took the hammer and beat this gun into a plow. And literally, it's now what we use in our community garden here uh, in Philly. And it's that vision, you know, that I look at it and I... One of the things I love about the swords to plows vision of the prophets is it, it ends by saying nation will not rise up against nation, but it begins with the people that we begin to beat our swords into plows. We refuse to kill. And it's not, you know, the kings and, Commanders in chief and presidents that lead to peace, but it's the people who refuse to kill that lead their leaders to peace, and mm. to, that lead that way. That prophetic image that uh, we will study war no more. So we're writing a book now called "Beating Guns," mm. and uh, and my friends that are the blacksmiths, they're awesome. You can find them online. They're uh their their name is really beautiful. It's Raw Tools which is War war Flipped Around Backwards, uh, R-A-W, RawTools.org. And uh, so we're going to keep doing it all over the country. um, And not just transforming guns, but praying for God to heal hearts and to heal our streets uh, that are so often plagued by by this uh, violence that goes all the way back to the inaugural sin of Cain and Abel and praying that God would would heal uh, this world that's so full of violence.
0: Oh, sure. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, when we say all we can do is pray, if if you look in the Book of Common Prayer at the Catechism and ask the question, what is prayer? The response is that prayer is responding to God. And so well, it, it's an interesting thing that, I mean, even an action that we take is it, it is a prayer to God. It's not just uh, words that we say or or moments when we're kneeling at the altar. It truly is Um, a life. And I I love the old Keith Green song, Make My Life a Prayer to You. And I I think about uh, words like that. And um, I think it's such an imaginative way that you're talking about here of of putting some practical things on the ground that people can do. Why not donate your guns to us and and let us do something uh, instead of... Uh, taking an instrument that is is meant to destroy and kill why don't we turn it into something that actually helps to bring life and uh, so I I think that's a really beautiful thing um, that that you're being a part of with that And I can't wait to read that book I think it's going to be a a great read
1: yeah I think you know as I think about what we need to have uh, in the church part of that is a consistent ethic of life and sure. you know the the pope and many uh christians i think this is what rich mullins also embodied was this this ethic of life that um we've so narrowly defined the pro-life movement in america to just mean pro birth really mm-hmm. to, to be anti-abortion and i think abortion is a very important issue that god cares about but it's not the only one you know i think mm-hmm. the the movement for black lives is a, is a pro-life movement. The immigration, how we re- welcome refugees and immigrants is a pro-life issue. Gun violence, the death penalty, all of these are, are uh, I, I think, also things that we could stand for life and stand against death. Um, it may be that the United States of America is the only play, place where you can be pro-guns pro-war, pro-death penalty, and still call yourself pro-life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I think what we need is people that are really pro-life from the womb to the tomb, you know, that really yeah. believe that, that uh, every every life is sacred, and we want to stand consistently against whatever destroys it.
0: Amen, I believe that. Well, maybe one other topic before I, I, I have to say goodbye to you today, and I, again, I want to thank you for taking time this afternoon. But while we're on the subject of life, I know a lot of Christians um, maybe haven't even thought through this, but many of us get uncomfortable when we start talking about the death penalty, and I think it's a an interesting thing because if we are people who are pro life, as as you just said, it's it's hard to at times reconcile with the death penalty, and you know immediately again we're 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 good about, about grabbing scriptures, and well they killed people in the Old Testament for doing this and that, but when we come to Jesus and we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he shows us what God is really like. I wonder if even in the death penalty, if if there's a more creative and more redemptive way, and I think what you have done is a lot of good work to that. I've heard you say before, you know, we don't, we don't rape someone to show that rape is wrong, and um, I think, like, well, you're right, we don't, like, burn an arsonist at the stake to show them that, you know, setting a fire is wrong to somebody's house or something like that, but but we do for some reason say that you know, killing is, is the right way to show that killing is wrong. And um, I, I, I know that this is something that's close to your heart. And, and matter of fact, I, I think you were um, maybe near where I was a couple weeks ago. I'm in Springfield, Ohio, and uh, apparently you had stayed with uh, some people in this area not too long ago. But uh, could you talk to us just a little bit about the work that you're doing in that regard with, with trying to help – uh, a more re- a more redemptive way, I guess I would say, than the death penalty, because you're not about saying, no, there are no consequences to the crime, and there's there's no consequences to the thing that these people have done. But I think that, again, you're helping us see some imaginative responses to crimes like this.
1: Yeah, well, I, I should start by saying I spent a lot of my life on the other side of this issue very passionately for the death penalty. And, you, you know, for a uh, um, uh, a, a big chunk of my my um, life, I believe that the death penalty was ordained by God, had its roots in Scripture, you know, and I had all the Bible verses to back that up. Um, and then I, I kept l- looking closer, and I saw a lot of holes in my theology. And and that's you know what I really um, did in in the Executing Grace book was was look at a lot of the theology behind it. Um, But one of the things that's so troubling about the death penalty um, is that it has survived in America, not in spite of Christians, but because of us. Hmm. The death penalty wouldn't stand a chance in America if it weren't for Christians. And um, 85% of executions in the last 40 years have been in the Bible Belt where hmm. wherever Christians are most concentrated is where we continue to hold on to it and and to me that's so troubling because I look closely at Jesus and the, even at the entire uh Bible and and I see that that the whole story is about redemption and grace and if we even believe that a uh someone who we know murdered someone is beyond redemption uh, we could rip out half the Bible. You know, uh, Moses murdered a man in the book of Exodus. David killed Uriah to cover up his sin with uh, Bathsheba. Saul of Tarsus, you know, tortured early Christians. Oversaw the killing of Stephen. And so the the Bible would be a lot shorter without grace. <laughs> mm, that's true. <laughs> one one of the um one of the uh, questions that the death penalty raises is is anybody beyond redemption? And one of the the, the truths that I hold at the very heart of my faith is that Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. That Jesus came for people who uh, have even done terrible things, and God is healing the wounds of that. And, and, And I believe that this is one of those things that Christians could... Uh, uh, be a part of making history on. Um, Overwhelmingly, young Christians are against the death penalty because they can't reconcile it with Jesus. Um, 95% of Americans, when they they were asked, would Jesus be in favor of the death penalty? 95% said, no, we just have to convince the Christians that Jesus meant what he said. Wow. (laughs) Wow. that mercy triumphs over judgment, you know, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. So I I think we've got to we've got to really uh, be a part of making history on this. And I I, I think we'll look back at the death penalty a lot like we look back at slavery Hmm. um, with shame and with horror, realizing that we justified it with the Bible, um, but that that we were on the wrong side of that. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of courage, a generation after we've ended slavery to say slavery is wrong, but it takes courage when slavery is still the status quo, you know, and I think in the same way with the death penalty, this is a moment for courage. And so we should be asking all of our, you know, music, Christian musicians and pastors and, uh, authors to really, uh, Uh, stand on the side of grace and redemption on this, uh, because I I think it's only a matter of time before we abolish the death penalty. Uh, But the question will be, what what role did the church play in ending it?
0: Mm. Good words to us. Good food for thought today, for sure. Well, I really want to thank you for for making time I really appreciate it I know your schedule is you I, it seems like you're probably one of the most busy people I know of it just seems like you're always uh, somewhere doing something and um, and I and I know you've been married I think for a couple years now but you know I, I that's new news to me so I guess I should say congratulations on your <laughs> on your marriage as well <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I know that even having a family itself that that takes a lot of our time so I'm I'm always appreciative of people people when they are able just to give a few minutes to talk uh, about hopefully some things that matter here on the podcast. I uh, I want to maybe close our time today, and I know that one of my favorite books that you've been a part of is, is sort of uh, a bringing uh, a new version of the Book of Common Prayer to us. And uh, I actually have uh, the original Book of Common Prayer in front of me. Uh, not the original. It's a reprint, I promise. But, uh, but I have the Book of Common Prayer, and I wonder if I could just read a short prayer for unity of God's people as I close this podcast today. It says, O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, deliver thy church, we beseech thee, from all prejudice and contention, and whatsoever else may hinder us from godly union and concord, that as there is but one body and one spirit and one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so we may be all of one heart and of one mind, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and love, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, Shane Claiborne, thank you so much for being one of the Voices in My Head this week.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining
0: me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at RickLeeJames.com where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Hand.